From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome, and thank you for joining me for this Tuesday edition of Washington Watch. The big story, a leak from the U.S. Supreme Court. Last night, Politico, a D.C.-based political publication, reported the Supreme Court is poised to overturn Roe v. Wade, sending the issue of abortion back to the states. Politico obtained a first draft of the court's opinion in Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health. The draft, which has now been authenticated by Chief Justice Roberts, was written by Justice Samuel Alito. Washington Watch reporter Marjorie Jackson has been at the Supreme Court today where abortion activists and pro-life supporters began gathering last night after the story broke. Hello, Tony. I am here right outside the Supreme Court. As you can tell, I'm not the only one here. There have been crowds gathered outside the court since last night. Politico dropped a bombshell report of Justice Samuel Alito's 98-page draft from February stating that the court is slated to overturn Roe versus Wade. Now, this is just an opinion draft that was leaked earlier than the decision that was anticipated in the next few weeks of the term. But as you can tell it's causing quite the reaction. Even last night as the decision was leaked there were people gathered outside the barricaded court, some pro-lifers there to pray and other uh, pro-abortion protesters there to hold up signs and protest in a last-ditch effort to save Roe versus Wade. As you can tell, that hasn't stopped. There have been a lot of people holding signs, a lot of people uh, here to protest, and even some high-profile senators making their thoughts known. I am here with FRC's director for the Center for Human Dignity, Mary Zock. Mary. What does this bombshell leak mean going forward in the next few weeks as the official decision to overturn Roe versus Wade has yet to be made? Well, if Justice Alito's draft opinion is, in fact, the decision that we receive in Dobbs, this is a great day of celebration for the pro-life movement. In his draft, Justice Alito affirmed that the unborn child is, in fact, a human being. And he affirmed that Roe was egregiously wrong in its decision. We need to pray that this decision stands. We need to pray that this is the decision that is put out as the final verdict by the justices for their courage, for their safety. And we need to point women towards resources like pregnancy resource centers that can help them during this time. The fight's not over yet. The Supreme Court has yet to release an official decision overturning Roe versus Wade. We need to be praying. Back to you, Tony. Again, that was Washington Watch reporter Marjorie Jackson at the Supreme Court. Well, was the leak intended to stir up abortion activists and their allies with the goal of intimidating the justices on the court? Response on those on the left would indicate that may have been their plan. Now that the court is poised to strike down Roe, it is my intention for the Senate to hold a vote on legislation to codify the right to an abortion in law. That was Senate Democrat leader Chuck Schumer. We will talk in just a moment with Tennessee Senator Marsha Blackburn, who is a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Speaking of the court, there was a 9-0 religious liberty victory at the high court yesterday. The case involved the city of Boston, which allowed any and all flags to fly over the city except, except one, the Christian flag, which they refused to fly. Matt Staver, president of Liberty Council, who argued the case before the Supreme Court joins us with the details of that victory. And the Biden administration still on the defensive over their announcement of their creation of the Ministry of Truth, a.k.a. the Disinformation Governance Board. The mandate is not to adjudicate what is true or false online or, or otherwise. Um, it will operate in a nonpartisan and apolitical manner. It's basically meant to coordinate a lot of the ongoing work that is happening. And what their focus is, the focus is on disinformation that threatens the homeland. Does anyone really believe that? I tell you, I don't. We're going to talk about it. I tell you what, I feel like we're on a roll today with good news. Taxpayers will not be forced to pay for puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, hysterectomies on healthy women, breast implants in men, and other cross-sex surgeries on anyone, including children via Obamacare. The Biden administration had proposed such a rule change earlier this year. However, the public comments, which FRC helped organize, caused the Biden administration to retreat, at least for now. We'll talk about the significance of this retreat with Dr. Jennifer Bowens, who wrote FRC's comments against the rule change. And 
with these seeds of transgender confusion being sown in the minds of children, in the classroom, in entertainment, and in the broader culture, there are very few safe spaces where this dangerous ideology is not forced upon our children. So how should Christians respond to this onslaught from a biblical perspective? And how should parents respond to this existential threat to our children and our families? That's what we're going to talk about later in the program. Dr. Jennifer Bowens is going to be with me, as well as Dr. Owen Strand. We're going to talk about this. You're not going to want to miss any of the next 50 minutes. If you do, you can go later to TonyPerkins.com and watch it. You can also share that link with your friends. By the way, primary season is starting to ramp up today. In fact, Ohio and Indiana hold their state primaries. There are, these are the first of over a dozen states that will hold primaries in the next month. So make sure you're prepared for your state's primary election this year. FRC Action is a part of the iVoterGuide Coalition, working to provide voters with important information on where the candidates stand on all of the issues. So if you'd like to access this guide before you go vote, go to frcaction.org and simply click on Voter Resources. So if you live in Ohio and Indiana, You still have time to go vote, so go out and vote if you haven't already. Our verse for today, coming from Judges chapter 6, verses 11 and 12, says, Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. But the Lord doesn't see us as we are, but as we will become when we follow and obey him, just as Gideon was hiding but the God saw him as a mighty warrior. If you've not already joined us for our Stand on the Word Bible reading plan, I invite you to join us. Go to frc.org Bible. As I mentioned earlier today, the U.S. Supreme Court did confirm the authenticity of the leaked draft ruling, uh, the leaked ruling that would overturn Roe v. Wade. And Chief Justice John Roberts ordered an investigation calling the extraordinary leak a betrayal of the confidence of the court. Meanwhile, Democrats appear to be using, I think, old talking points from Republicans. Several of these conservative justices who are in no way accountable to the American people have lied to the U.S. Senate, ripped up the Constitution, and defiled both precedent and the Supreme Court's reputation. That's interesting. That was Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer earlier today. Now that the court is not doing their bidding, they're shredding the Constitution and they're unaccountable to the people. Joining me now is Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee. She is a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Senator Blackburn, welcome back to the program. It is good to join you. Thank you so much for having me on. So, Senator, I'm going to jump right to this. What is your reaction to this leaked draft ruling? Tony, what we have to realize, first of all, is that This was done by someone who is trying to do harm to an associate justice of the Supreme Court. They're trying to do harm to the institution and to the process. As justices hear a case, discuss a case, uh, do writings and conversations back and forth, call their vote, and then write their opinion, there are many documents and conversations that take place. And having a leftist activist who was there, who is willing to risk their career on going ahead and exposing this is something that does attack the integrity of the court. Justice Roberts is correct in calling for the marshal of the court to conduct an investigation and whomever did this, and I am certain that they will know sooner rather than later, whether it's someone from the left or the right, then they should be punished to the full extent. Will it have its intended effect? As you said, it's it's trying to intimidate. It's trying to, I think it's an act of desperation. It shows how significant this ruling is. Do you think this could call some of the justices to back up? My hope would be that justices who have cast their vote and held their opinion would hold that opinion. But I think what we have to do first before we get to a decision, and there will be time to talk about that decision when it is rendered and talk about it in the appropriate time frame. But right now, what we have to look at is the damage that is done to the court. 
to the fact that you have leftist organizations, a lot of these leftist dark money organizations, Arabella Group, Demand Justice, and others that are looking at how they can influence the court. Basically, what they're doing is carrying out an influence, a malign right. influence campaign against the court. This is unprecedented, and that's why the individual responsible has to be held to account. We need to be able to depend on our institutions, and people have felt that the federal judiciary was an area where you did not have these leaks, that many times you have leaks that are coming out of the White House or coming out of Congress, leaks that are intended to hurt individuals or different policy discussions. But you have not seen that in the courts until today. That's a really good point, because this does fit with the pattern that we've seen from these dark money groups of trying to intimidate the court, Arabella, as you made reference to. You know, what's interesting, and maybe I missed it, but I did not hear any of your colleagues on the Democratic side of the aisle saying anything about the leak of the document. They were all up in arms about the fact that the court might take away abortion and send it back to the states to determine what the people want. That is uh, so true. And at this point, I still have not heard one of my colleagues step forward and condemn the action of the leaker and support the chief justice and the court in finding out who did this and punishing them. I think it's also important to note, Tony, this does not ban abortion as those on the left have taken to the steps of the Supreme Court today to declare that this would ban abortion, uh, that it would end a woman's right to choose, which is really interesting to me, being that a few weeks ago in the confirmation hearing for Justice Jackson, they could not define what is a woman. But what they are doing is misleading. This simply sends the issue of how to deal with abortion back to the states, and it will allow the states. This is federalism. Send it to the states and let the various and separate states decide how they want to address the issue of abortion. You are absolutely correct. And they would not want the American people to know that they uh, they are they are acting as if the court is going to do what the court did 50 years ago, and that is impose something on the American people. It's the exact opposite. Senator Marsha Blackburn, always great to talk with you. And thank you because you. you are a part of this decision and your leadership on the issue of life and so many other issues on Capitol Hill. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you. You know, it's ex- she's exactly right. This goes back to the states. What we've been talking about, this goes back to state legislatures closer to the people and then the states decide. I was talking to a reporter today. I, I actually think what this does is it allows America to to reach a working consensus on the issue of abortion, something we've not been able to do for a half a century because the court jumped in and imposed itself. All right, stick with us, folks. We're coming back on the other side of the break with another court, well, with a court victory that we know for certain. Yesterday, a victory on religious liberty. Going to be joined by Matt Staver next. Don't go away. Are you struggling to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. The Stand on the Word reading plan takes you through daily scripture in an engaging manner to help you stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. 
With the current division and confusion of our culture, it is so important for Christians to root ourselves in the truth of God's Word so that we are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. For this purpose, Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. The Center applies the Bible and the historical teachings of the Church to current issues. This helps Christians understand and live by a biblical worldview, know why Scripture must be authoritative, and equips believers to advance and defend the faith in workplaces, schools, communities, and the public square. The experts at the Center address and provide resources on issues like religious liberty, abortion, voting, marriage, and sexuality. To access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series, go to frc.org worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including blogs, interviews, and publications, sign up at frc.org subscriptions. At Family Research Council, it is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've decided to be proactive to make sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. That is why we've created a tech subscription platform. If we get canceled, you can stay informed and still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get special alerts on the biggest stories of the day. You can stay informed with just a simple text. We want you to be able to stay connected with like-minded community and to always have access to our content. Stay connected and informed. Just text STAND to 67742. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you happen to miss anything, you can find it all at TonyPerkins.com. We archive every program. And by the way, it's a great place to send friends. You can can actually take uh, each segment, send a clip over to your friends to share this information. This is one of the places, one of the few places you get the news from the newsmakers themselves, unfiltered by the legacy media. Well, before last night's major leak from the U.S. Supreme Court on the Mississippi abortion case, it was the 9-0 ruling by the court on a viewpoint discrimination case out of Boston that was actually making all the headlines. The court ruled that the city of Boston violated the Constitution by censoring a private flag in a public forum open to all applicants, merely because the applicant referred to it as, yeah, you guessed it, a Christian flag. Every other flag was accepted and flown except one, the Christian flag. Joining me now to talk about the significance of this case is Liberty Council founder and chairman Matt Staver, who argued on behalf of the Boston resident and his Christian civic organization, Camp Constitution. Matt, welcome back to Washington Watch, and congratulations, by the way. Uh, Thank you, Tony. Good to be here. Well, Matt, uh, how many cases is this that you've had before the Supreme Court? Well, we've had about 25 cases or more before the Supreme Court. I've personally argued three of those cases, but uh, you never get a case when it's like this, where it's nine to zero. They're very, very rare, especially on a religious free speech case or any kind of religious liberty case. So this nine to zero decision, I thought we would get one after the oral argument. I thought it went very well. I didn't anticipate Justice Breyer, however, would actually write the opinion. And so miracles do happen. He actually wrote this opinion and all nine justices signed on to it. Now, am I mistaken, but did the Biden administration actually back your client as well? Were they on the same side with you? Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, the Biden administration did. The um, Actually, Solicitor General, uh, Assistant Solicitor General argued in our case here. Uh, they argued here because they knew that the case could go sideways if they didn't get involved because they deal with parks as well. And they have different kinds of celebrations where you have events that are open to the public and events that are done solely for, for example, the government, like, for example, the um, lighting of the Christmas tree. That is a government-sponsored event, but at the same time, you have public-sponsored opportunities there, and the same thing in the national parks. So they have both public and private, and they wanted to make sure that that intersection between government speech and private speech is maintained, something that the lower courts got terribly wrong. 
So, so Matt, how significant of a precedent does this set? It sets a big precedent because it's, as you clearly explained, it's not just about the flag. In this case, the flag itself, the Christian flag that we know of, the white flag with the blue square and the red cross, that's the Christian flag. And that was part of the celebration for Constitution Week. The flag itself was not the problem, Boston officials said. You could fly that flag, just don't call it Christian in the application. So it was the viewpoint of that flag. If you secularize the flag, even if they said you called it Camp Constitution flag, we would allow it. But as you, if you deem it to be Christian, it's not allowed, even though the symbol stays the same. So it really is much broader than flying a flag in Boston or on any flagpole. It's about excluding Christian viewpoints from a public forum, whether it's in Boston or someplace else, whether it's after school for a Bible club, whether it's use of a common community room or a band shell of a public park. I mean, this case, this case was so viewpoints was unconstitutional. Well, it was so blatant. I mean, I think yeah, there was like 268 applications that had all been approved, every single one of them. Only one was denied, and it was your client? Yeah, for 12 years, they had uh, no denials, uh, no review of the content until we came to this one, and they said no. And the only reason they did is because of the one word, the word Christian, in the application. So it was very blatant. They did not hide that fact, interestingly, but they defended it and said, well, you know, even though... We say it's a public forum, and even though our policy says it's open to all applicants, and that's how we've practiced it for 12 years, we've never denied an application. We've had pro-communist and anti-communist flags back-to-back by private groups. We've had all kinds of diverse issues. We're not going to allow you, Christian viewpoint, because this is now government speech. So the implications of this is in a public forum that's generally open, like, for example, school facilities after school for churches to rent or Bible clubs or whatever it may be, when those are open to the general public and secular groups can use it, then when the Christian group wants to use it from a Christian perspective, speak about or meet about from a Christian perspective, the government, as in this case, shuts the door and says, no, you're not welcome because we can censor what we want to. And they're unashamed about censoring Christian viewpoints and religious freedom because they say it's government speech. We can do what we want to. That was the big case that was before the Supreme Court. And that's the implication. And that's what attracted the Solicitor General of the United States attention. Well, again, uh, Matt, I want to congratulate you and as well as thank you for being out there fighting for religious freedom and, and looking through some of the, uh, the information coming out of that case, it sounds like the opinion may have been stronger if one of the conservatives had written it because uh, Clarence Thomas and uh, Samuel Alito didn't agree with part of the reasoning of the, the majority, but they agreed with the, uh, the outcome. Matt, always right. great to be with you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us and again. Thanks for the great work you do. Thank you, Tony. Always a pleasure to be with you. All right. Uh, Matt Staver. Look, you guys, these groups that are out there defending religious freedom have never been more important. I mean, we work with it. We work on the policy. We work on promoting what they're doing. We give them a platform. But those are the guys that are in the courtrooms. They're taking on the clients. Alliance Defending Freedom, Liberty Institute, Liberty Council, uh, Beckett Fund. There's others. But I am so grateful for them. And there's never been a time like we have now where we have to fight for our freedom. But with these courts that we have now with constitutionalists, originalists on the courts because of the Trump administration, we've got a chance to defend our freedoms. All right, don't go away, folks. We're coming back with more Washington Watch on the other side of the break. Still a lot to come.
What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, and it's so good to have you with us. The website is TonyPerkins.com. As I mentioned, some good news today. Um, Even in the midst of a Biden administration, there's actually good news. We've got the the court decisions, the pending court decision, the one that came out yesterday. And now the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, a sub-agency of the Department of Health and Human Services. And we live up here in an alphabet soup. We've got all these different uh, acronyms. Well, they've abandoned their plan to force millions of taxpayers to pay for other people's gender transition procedures. Now, in the final rule that was released last Thursday, CMS dropped the proposals, which we here at the Family Research Council have been actively pushing against. Joining me now to discuss this is Dr. Jennifer Bowens. She is the director of the Center for Family Studies here at the Family Research Council, who authored the comment that FRC submitted to HHS back in January in opposition to the proposals. Jennifer, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me, Tony. So explain what they were trying to do, and then we can talk about the significance of this retreat. Yeah, in short, basically they wanted us to pay for gender transition surgeries, procedures, um, hormones. Um, They wanted us to to basically back this ideology. And I can't tell you what a relief it is to realize that my tax dollars are not going to these kinds of procedures. Now, this is something that is uh, has permeated the Biden administration. Everywhere we turn, they're pushing this whole transgender agenda. So backing off from this rulemaking process, which this was a part of, if I'm not mistaken, part of Obamacare, right? Correct. So they're backing away from this. Why did they back away since they're so committed to this? Well, I'll tell you one thing that's kind of interesting just in the whole process of submitting this comment is normally you have about 60 days. Well, this administration basically gave us a third of that time, and then they lumped it in the midst of a holiday. So as my friends across the pond would say, that's a little cheeky, um, (laughs) to say the very least. Um, So one of the things that, to their benefit, is that um, by doing what they just did, by backing off this rule, uh, they don't have to respond to our comments. Because one thing that happens with the federal government is that when you propose a rule, you have to, by law, make substantive comments to the comments that were submitted to you on this rule. So they don't have to respond to our questions about the faulty science. They don't have to um, remark in a substantive way. So let's just kind of game that out, why Mm -hmm. they might wanted to have avoided responding, because 
then you get into not not really a political debate, but it, it has to be a scientific debate. And this, we expose what's behind the curtain. That, that's right. I mean, they're going to they're going to try again. I mean, this isn't over by any right. stretch, but they never go away. Yeah. <laughs> this is their number one agenda, um, or at least it sure seems like it. Um, and uh, the science behind this ideology is really flimsy. And so to to respond in any substantive way um, would require more more effort than just a few talking points and a few flashing of a study here and there um, to say that there's, the debate is over. Um, it's far from over. Now, Dr. Bowen, you, you wrote the response for FRC, but also we encouraged others to respond across the country. What type of response did they get to this proposed rule change? Yeah, um, actually, Roger Severino did a great job of just leading the charge on this and Groups like Family um, Family Policy Alliance, um, Christian Medical and Dental Association, and Heritage, other groups, um, whatever their piece of the puzzle was, they submitted uh, basically a, a similar response that we all were questioning the science. We're all questioning um, how can we how can we allow such radical procedures to children's bodies with such little evidence. This kind of procedure should necessitate the, the most rigorous type of science, scientific backing. So, Jennifer, how do you think they might come back and try this again? <laughs> well, I, th- I think that um, there are a number of, um, um, sorry, um, I'm thinking of uh, a, a number of policies that they have down the pike, but um, I, I think they're going to try it in every department, every every which way they can make a rule. Um, it might be more in, like in Pride Month that they're going to try to gain political support and political arm, um, but they're not going to stop. Yeah. I mean, as you said, this is one of their top. I mean, almost when you look at how President Biden himself, not his administration, himself addresses this issue repeatedly, that this is, I would almost say, an obsession with them. It is an obsession, and you have to wonder what's behind that. And I know we'll talk a little bit more about this, but there is there's definitely a, a theoretical, um, spiritual underpinnings to this whole um, ideology um, that has to do with truth, that have to do with um, separating children from who they are, their identity. And so I think this is a really important place for the church to step in and really be that affirming. That's a, it's a great word, yeah. right? Affirmation is actually the right word. They need, these children need affirmation. As God created them mm-hmm. and right. desires for them to be. I mean, I think you're right. I think we are, as a society, you know, we're, 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 we're hanging by a string over a raging fire. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's that one strand of truth. It breaks. And I think we lose the culture. And and that's what this is all about. It's really about truth. It's about the height of rebellion against God. You didn't make me a man. You didn't make me a woman. I will declare who I am myself. Well, we're going to talk about that on the other side of the break. As you said, they never go away. And so this issue is going to be coming back, folks. And I know many parents, I've heard from many, many parents who are dealing with this as their children have been inundated with this. How should we respond? How should parents respond? How should we as Christians respond? Well, Dr. Owen Strand joins us next here as we discuss that in this next segment of Washington Watch. Don't go away. In fact, call your friends to tune in as well. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. 
What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In Scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Attention university students. Are you looking for an internship that will help you grow as a Christian leader and allow you to positively influence the culture? Then Family Research Council's internship program is for you. FRC's life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program will prepare and equip you for the next step in your professional journey. You'll enjoy a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training. All of these offerings were created to aid you in your personal and professional development. As an intern, you will have the opportunity to work side-by-side with our experts in policy, communications, event planning, and more. The real-world experience you gain will prepare you to pursue a career of influence and make a difference wherever God calls you. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. This is Washington Watch, and I'm Tony Perkins, and I am glad that you are with us. The website is TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources there for you. As we talked about yesterday, Rachel Levine, the Assistant Secretary for Health in the Department of Health and Human Services, spoke over the weekend at the annual LGBT-focused Out for Health conference in Texas that was held at the Texas Christian University in Fort Worth. In his prepared remarks, Levine, who self-identifies as transgender, stated he believes in the role of doctors as healers and truth-tellers, and he stated, quote, the truth we need to confront right now is that medicine and science are being politically perverted around the country in ways that destroy human lives, end quote. Well, before he went on, I think we have a clip of him speaking with NPR the day before, talking about how there is consensus, and in fact, agreement, not consensus, unanimous agreement in the medical and science field. Play, Play that clip. There is no argument about the value and the importance of gender affirming care. There is no argument. Well, the left would like for us to believe that this gender affirming care is that they're talking about is what saves lives, taking people down the path of hormone treatments, of of surgeries that forever change their lives. But what does the Bible tell us? How should we be responding to the transgender issue? I mean, it's a big issue. As I mentioned uh, in the previous segment, I've heard from parents who have been calling, asking, hey, my, my son, my daughter, they've done this, they've come out as this. What do I do? Well, here for this conversation are two experts, Dr. Jennifer Bowens, that was just with me. I kept her strapped to the seat. She can't go anywhere. She is our director for FRC Center for Family Studies. Actually, she can go wherever she wants, but she wants to stay here and talk to you. And Dr. Owen Strand, who is a senior fellow for FRC Center for Biblical Worldview and a theologian and a professor. Doctors are in the house. (laughs) Welcome. Thank you. All right, let me start with the theological, because, Owen, we're hearing so much about this. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. It's permeating our society. We have the president of the United States telling transgender kids, I've got your back. Uh, you've got this in Hollywood, Disney putting this out there. The classroom has become inundated with this message. How are we as Christians to deal with this? We're to deal with it by recognizing that fundamentally our task, Ephesians 4.15, is to be those who are speaking the truth in love. So we don't start from feelings. 
We don't start from saying what the other side wants to hear, what any sinner wants to hear, what we ourselves want to hear. We start with the truth of God's word and we work from there. And the truth of God's word is that God has made us either a man or a woman, male or female. He's done so for his glory. And so we will flourish and thrive when we not only recognize we are a man or a woman biologically, but live as such. But but let me me push back a little bit uh, and play, I don't think in this program I want to say devil's advocate, but let me me push back a little bit and say... Oh, that's that's uh, that's the Bible. That 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 doesn't speak to the the issues of our day. But wasn't there some examples of this gender confusion in the Old Testament? There certainly are examples that you can find even in the Deuteronomic law. Uh, for example, Deuteronomy twenty-two five forbids a man wearing a woman's coat or a woman wearing a man's coat. And so, so why would they bring that up if that wasn't an issue? Because it was an issue. It shows you that. What we call gender dysphoria really begins in in sin. We don't talk about it that way today. We don't trace it back to a moral cause. But honestly, this has been a problem since the fall of Adam and Eve. And so the way, the only way to truly help people who are experiencing what we call gender dysphoria is to go back to the scripture and to go back to God's design and to go back to the good plan of God for men and women realized in the gospel. Jennifer, I want to bring you into this conversation because you're both, you've been both a professor and a practitioner when it comes to dealing with trauma and dealing with, you know, just emotions and feelings and all of these things. Do we help people by playing along with their concocted reality? No, we don't help them. Sometimes we have to come to the place where we... Uh, we affirm them like that your feelings are real. Um, we're not dismissing what you're saying, but we're also not going to just agree with what you're saying and say that keep going down that path. Um, I want to be an empathetic listener. I right. want to make sure that I'm understanding what person's feeling, where it's coming from. So I don't want to just, you know, put up walls and say, nope, that's not the way. <laughs> this is yeah, I mean, you validate but, the feelings in terms mm-hmm. of, uh, look, I hear what you're saying, Right. But I, I can't say that it's true. That's right. I mean, if someone says, I, you know, I, I feel like I'm Batman mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and I can I can or I'm Superman. And I can leap tall buildings and I can run fast. That's fine. You might right. feel that way, but don't try it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It could be yeah. dangerous. Yeah, I'd like to. I feel like I can dunk, you know, in a basketball court. But that ain't true. Yeah, so. I don't. I think you better stay in the classroom. Yeah. <laughs> So when we look at this from a standpoint of parents, let's let's just kind of be very, very practical here because, again, given the fact that our kids are being inundated with this 24-7, let's, let's just start very practically speaking. All right, how do parents, number one, how do they protect their children? How do they keep them from being permeated with this destructive message. I'm going to go to you first, Owen. Well, the first duty we have as a father or mother is to teach our kids the Scripture, is to teach them the biblical worldview. So fundamentally, there are a lot of obstacles to Christian faith in this world, and our kids are going to feel the wind in their face at some point. But if we tie them like sailors used to do in ancient times, if we tie them to the mast of God's Word— We give them a solid foundation. We can't save our kids. I can't save my precious three children at home in Arkansas. But what I can do is lovingly try to teach the truth of God so that they know they're a boy or a girl for God's glory, not by accident. Yeah, you tie them to the mast and save them from the siren's song and and keep them from going away. And also, I think the Scripture in many ways, you know, we've been, we just come out of this, uh, well, almost come out of this whole... um, vaccine mandate era. But you know, the, the scripture is really a vaccination of the soul. I mean, when, when, we, when we are t- tell, helping our children know the scripture, that is a defense when they go into this environment where they're hearing all of this. And I mean, Jennifer, you've, you've taught at Princeton, Rutgers, you, you know what that environment is like and what it will do to shake the faith of children if it's not their own. That's right. And I think that's important for um, our listeners to to remember is that 
a lot of people who are pushing this ideology, they're coming from what's called a social constructivist point of view, which basically says, hey, you know, we hear it all the time in, in our popular vernacular. My truth is, your, you know, it's whatever it means to me or, um, you know, you do you. Right. right? And, and this is, you know, talking about the Bible, this is Pilate. You know, he hears right. the truth about Jesus you know, this, his wife has a dream. This man is innocent. And so what does he do? He turns and he, he listens to the crowd. What, is the, what are the popular masses saying? That's what's going on in the transgender ideology. We, we have popular opinion driving this rather than truth. Um, and he is able to wash his hands and basically send the Messiah to, crucif to crucifixion yeah. um, because he's willing to say what is truth. And that's where we're at. And we have to realize our our uh, leaders, or especially our education leaders, a lot of them are coming from that kind of ideology. So w that's the first thing we have to do is just recognize that. That's what we're dealing with and tether them to an identity that's rooted in Christ. Well, and if, if parents, pastors won't defend the truth of God's word in a, I mean, you, it's one thing to say it. But it's another thing to live it out in practice. If they won't do it, who will? That's right. Pastors have to stand up. At this point, it's really Jesus versus Mickey. I mean, it is Disney, and it's I am whoever I want to be kind of worldview that Jennifer was just talking about, or it is the Word of God. It is the sacred truth of, of Christ, Matthew 19, 3 to 6, Jesus affirming uh, manhood and womanhood and God's design for marriage. And so this really is what it's down to. And we've got to train our children in understanding that it's a glorious thing that God has spoken. God's truth isn't just true. It's good for us. Yeah. And if we can communicate that, that will help. So, Owen, what if, you know, you have a son or a daughter that comes out and says, you know, I, I, you know I'm, I'm, I'm now a lesbian or I'm, who knows what they could be these days? Yeah. And you're, you're, you know that's not right, you know it's not true, you know it's not who God made them to be, but you love them. What do you do? Yeah, it's kind of like the, that sailing metaphor. You keep sailing through the storm. You don't stop sailing. You keep sailing. And in the case of being a father, a mother, a parent, you keep loving your child as much as you can. You don't affirm their sin, but you love them. You make clear. Let me stop you right there because yeah. that, that, that's a, something we need to differentiate because the two are often conflated. Love and affirmation. Mm. We, we love just as Jesus loved us. God loved us unconditionally. That's why he sent Jesus. But he didn't affirm us in our sin. Had he affirmed us in our sin, we never would have gone to the Savior for salvation. Totally. And so if we affirm our children in these these choices that they make that are ungodly and unbiblical, if we affirm that, they'll never come to experience the fullness of who God made them to be. That's right. The culture's understanding of love is affirmation, like you're saying, and the Bible's understanding of love for sinners like us is repentance. So we do love in word and deed. You know, we do continue to hug our kids and try to have conversations with them and take them to ice cream and get a milkshake and all the things that we do as a father or mother. You can tell what's on my mind right now. But, um, but beyond that, we cannot affirm them in their sin. That's not loving. Um, that's fundamentally, honestly, hating them and setting them up for eternal destruction. So the stakes are very high on these counts. And Jennifer, speaking, we were talking in the previous segment about the science and how the Biden administration backing off the push for transgender coverage in the Obamacare plans. The science, the social science, shows that if children make their way normally through the rough seas of adolescence, puberty, that the vast majority, the vast majority, about 80 percent, mm -hmm. are going to end up in the harbor. They're going to be yes. where they need to be. Yeah. Even WPATH's own guidelines, which is the um, uh, transgender organization that creates stand, quote-unquote standards of care, um, they say that most 73 to 94 percent will desist. So, it's kind of interesting that they recognize that but still push these procedures as a means of, of quote-unquote care. There's a spiritual side beyond what we've been talking about. Um, there, there's the personal spiritual side, but there is, in my view, th this is a bigger unfolding 
of man's rebellion against God. Oh, totally. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. Ultimately, there are public square battles to have, and we're ready to have them in love. But ultimately, we're fighting principalities and powers. We're fighting schemes of the devil, Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. And so we don't need the culture's understanding of love in these kind of storms. What we need is the whole armor of God. And if we will put it on ourselves and do our best to disciple our kids in it, if we will sail through that storm and and hold them fast in love, if we won't subject them to transitions and to cutting off body parts, but we'll say, I know you're feeling this. It's not true. Daddy and mommy love you, and we're going to stand with you and love you all the way through. I truly believe that we will see some of those forces fought off, not necessarily in every case, but we will do what we need to do as fathers and mothers and fight spiritually for our children. You know, I'm actually finding it hard to believe as a Marine, I'm using all these sailor analogies, <laughs> but um, the, the, the reality is if we're going to stand for biblical truth in our homes, even in our churches and in our communities, it means that there are going to be times we're just going to have to stand alone. That's exactly what it means. And if, if we are standing alone, we need to know that that's the call of so many Christians before us. As you talked about a minute ago, we desperately need pastors and elders who will equip us to stand on the solid rock of God's truth. And if we have these sound churches, these little havens or harbors of the soul, then we will be much better equipped. But even with sound churches, we're going to feel wind in our face in days ahead. We've got to be ready for the negative world that we're in. It's not a neutral world. It's not a positive world for Christianity. But we have God, and one man with God is a man in the majority. And Jennifer, you've lived that out. You've been in yeah. some pretty rough environments uh, as a professor, and um, you can hold your faith and live out your faith yes. in a way that impacts the people around you. Yeah, it's actually when we shine the brightest is when it's the darkest, and we are meant to leaven the lump of the world. So it's, it is a great opportunity for us as believers. Um, the contrast is great. Um, and, you know, we're, we're going to see the wheat among us. Yeah. I think it comes down to Jesus' call to us to take up our cross, which is an instrument of death. We literally have to die to reputation, die to our own desires and expectations, and follow him. I mean, that's what it ultimately takes. That's right. Owen, Jennifer, so great to uh, have both of you on set here today. Thank you, you, you look so much different in three dimensions, so uh, <laughs> great to be with you. And folks, great to have you with us as well today. And let me encourage you, stand for the truth of God's Word. You know, it, it, it may not be in vogue today, but I tell you what, it's going to stand for all eternity. And if you stand on it, you'll never, ever be disappointed. Until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.